So Drea, this is Alice. Alice Smith, this is Drea. Nice to introduce you both. Hi, Alice. I've heard Hi. so many good things about you. And all the good things are, of course, true. Yes, 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 of course. <laughs> Everything about me that you hear that's great, that's true. So today, Dre and I are excited to be speaking to Alice Smith, Grammy-nominated singer and songwriter. Alice's first album, For Lovers, Dreamers and Me, was released in 2006 and nominated for a Grammy in the Best Urban Alternative category. And her following album, She, was released in 2013, which received widespread acclaim. She released (laughs) an EP, Mystery, in October 2019, just before COVID struck, and I know has helped me through the past year listening to it uh, a lot. Just before Breakdown, she toured headlining the world-famous Apollo Theatre in Harlem, Lincoln Theatre in DC, and you may have heard her voice on NPR's Tiny Desk or CW's hit show Black Lightning and last year's phenomenal Lovecraft Country where your songs were played on that. Mm -hmm. Um, Alice, welcome. We're really excited to be talking to you today. Well, thank you for having me. The first thing we ask everyone is on optimism. And how do you think of that word? Do you define yourself as an optimist? My father is not an optimist, and I am an optimist. I've always known that, you know. I generally see things positively. It doesn't tend to cross my mind the other stuff. That's why I have... have certain people in my life to keep me reminded you know that it's not all um flowers and sunshine but i i generally um am kind of positive about things uh, yeah i think that's interesting the the idea that um you know in your case your dad but actually yeah. sometimes it takes kind of someone with a alternate mm-hmm. way of thinking to bring out that and make you realize yeah. your own way of thinking. Your own way of thinking, how you want to think, you know. You keep listening to people and not, you know, being pessimistic. My father is not like a downer in any, in any way, but he is definitely, um, he calls himself a realist. <laughs> he's a Scorpio, you know. Yep. And he's, he's very clear about all the things that could, could go <laughs> the wrong way. And I'm generally not. I'm just not. So, um, um, and where do you think that comes from? So you, do you, you'll think about stuff and just see the way through it. You're, is that is that how that manifests? How, how? I think I'm just such an in-the-moment person uh, that I <clears throat> I kind of don't... I'm, I don't know. I'm a bigger picture person also. Like, I'm more into, like, oh, overall... You know, when you take it as a whole, it's cool, you know. Can you tell us a little bit more about your upbringing? I'm a firm believer that uh, our, the, the types of influences we had growing up, where we were growing up, the communities we were in, really uh, shape some of our perspectives. And I understand that you were raised in D.C., you had family rooted in Georgia, uh, and uh, you have a lot of extended family in particular. Uh, sounds as though your grandmother was, a, was an important figure Huge. in your family. Yeah, so so tell us a little bit about those influences in your life and, and how maybe those relationships shaped your outlook. Well, I think I was pretty sheltered. Um, my mother is one of nine children, so it's a big family. 
And, you know, in a big family, even though I was an only child in my house, but um, in a big family, you know, you kind of don't feel like you need, or we, I didn't feel like I needed much. You don't need a lot of, um, from outside people because you have so many people. Um, my family is very supportive and really gives, kind of gives you the space to be yourself and almost always is going to say you're great. Like, regardless <laughs> of what anything or anyone says or anything that happens, it's always like, ah, oh, yes, well, Alice can do da 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 And so, you know, they... They are. They pay attention to you. Um, my family. I always feel like I've always been able to really be myself with my family, and I, I never thought that that was a big deal. I figured everybody had that, but as I grew up, I found out that people really didn't have that, and that, or that they had these weird obligations to their family, and oh, if you don't show up at Christmas, it's like. You know, the world, you're just a horrible family member. And um, my mother's family is the family that I usually am talking about when I say all talk about my family because that's who I spent all my, all the time that I wasn't in school. I was at my, my grandmother's house in Georgia. They had this farm, you know. And with all those grandchildren, like, you know, we were all there. And we were just free because we had our own space to just be with each other and explore and do whatever we wanted. And um, we didn't have to have a lot of uh, adult intervention in our just the regular, in just the day, because, you know, they could let us go outside and we, would, we were safe, essentially. So I think that kind of freedom and that kind of knowing that you can always have a place to be um, where you're just going to be able to be yourself and everybody's going to know you and they're going to make certain allowances for you because they know you and your ways and stuff. And it's, it's just, it's a beautiful, it really is a beautiful family. Um, it sounds like an incredible environment. Really incredible. A very unconditional environment. Very unconditional, super unconditional well, as long as you like, you know, do what you're told. Yeah. So there were rules too. But, oh, it's definitely, there were rules, definitely rules and definitely um, authority figures. And I've met Margie. Yeah. Anybody world. who was an adult, you know, you had to do whatever they told you, but it was, they were all safe. In some ways it felt really loose and some ways it felt really tight. And I think it was like really balanced that way. And you spent time in the South and then a lot of time in, in, in DC. So you're in, in Georgia and then in DC. Yeah. How is that kind of the, the contrast between those two? I don't know. You know, when I was little, I, I started, my mother revealed to me that she started sending me to my grandmother's when I was like three months. Right. And like, you know, in Georgia. <laughs> and I, and I, of course, you know, I was always like, oh, you what? 
And but my grandmother would tell her, you know, and she said she would have the same feelings, you know. And my grandmother would just be like, well, what do you think is going to happen? She's not going to forget you. So you need a break. Take a break. And um, there's plenty of hands down here. So just send her down here. So um, I think the the living the living in D.C., on the hill, you know, going to like private schools, um, um, white schools, um, um, but uh, so in schools it was fully white all the time, but in D.C. it's it's a pretty segregated town, probably still maybe a little it's different now, but not crazy different, um, but that. I remember feeling that, you know, um, that difference and my own difference from everybody in school. But again, I always had my people. So I didn't really, you know, ever, I mean, I can know that in my mind as a small child, I would say, well, that doesn't matter because I got my own Your people, people huh? I, you know, and my people are cooler than yours. <laughs> So, so where in all of this did you find singing and did you find music? How did that start? I always sang. I always had a retention for words, for lyrics. I can literally, it's, I mean, I just remember words to songs um, from the very beginning, from like two and three years old. Um, I would sing along. I know that I always sang. My best friend, who happened to grow up down the street from me, who like the only other black family, we would sing together. She happened to have a gorgeous voice. We would sing in the in the mirror together, you know. But I always, but because of that, I always felt like everybody sang, and I never, I never thought of it as like, oh. A, a job or that I would do it for real or try to learn how. Um, I took the piano when I was, I don't know, 10, 12, something like that. And I do remember that I asked my mother if I could get voice lessons sometime during that. And my piano teacher, who was um, like 80-something, she was brilliant. But she was like, it's too early. You know, at this point, if anybody teaches her they're going to be influencing her voice and it's best she get her own voice first and then train it later if she wants to do that. Wow, Isn't that's that interesting. Deep? What kind of age was that? I was like 12, 13. Wow, so she wanted you to Wait, grow into your voice first. Grow and into then... your voice and then learn how to do it. Amazing. Technically. And so, yeah, that was that was something... And so I didn't start singing until late in college. Um, I met somebody. I'm, I, I can't think of the year. I must have been a junior or something, sophomore, junior, uh, maybe a senior. I don't know. And um, somebody, I went out and somebody said, oh, we went to speak to the DJ at this place. And the girl that I was with was like, oh, she's an amazing singer. And I was like the fuck are you doing <laughs> and um anyway he ended up being with a woman who needed a background singer in new york this is about this time i was living in new york at school and um 
I started singing back up for her. And then, you know, her husband had a band and I started singing in that band. So it just, my whole experience with music has been completely organic and I had no, no idea. I was just, when somebody would call, I would say yes or no. And it would be strictly based on if I felt like it or not, or if it sounded like fun, which is what I always have to remind myself when I want to quit, yeah, that actually I'm in this because of you know for the fun part, and I'm not really in it for you know blah 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 all the other stuff. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean I I'm picking up on these parallels of, you know you said you use the word balance about your upbringing that there was just the right amount of freedom and autonomy, but also these responsibilities. You know you're you're yeah. supposed to kind of follow certain expectations, and then I hear you. Um, describe, and I know you have this this incredibly unique but familiar style. I stumbled upon your cover of a Jeff Buckley song, which is one of my oh, favorite yeah. songs of the late Jeff Buckley. Oh, yeah. Um, I just heard that the other day, too. Such oh, a yeah. beautiful song. Uh, and I stumbled upon your cover and recognized the, you know, just your style has elements that I'm familiar with and yet elements right. I've never heard before. So just the, the eclectic nature and, and I'm picking up on, I'm, I'm not a musical person, but I can pick up on this, this theme that when you, when you were building your musical identity, that there you also had a level of autonomy and specific individualism about who you were and then got the influences from these, you know, amazing, the masters of, of music that you can hear in, in your, your songs. So it's, it's such a beautiful parallel. Yeah. Thanks. It's, um, yeah, because I, I, it's funny. Like I always have, when you speak about individualism and, but then that, that, familiarity it's like I'm always I have every so much music in my head that I know very well when I'm writing and recording like I can I know when it's somebody else's thing that's coming out of me and I always go the other way right so I'm always like trying to make sure I'm I'm doing my my own pure like something that really just came to me not something that it may sound like it may sound like something else in the next line but it's not something I know about <laughs> you know what I mean it's not like I heard it and it sounded like I was singing some Stevie Wonder song and I kept going down that road you know um so I'm I'm actively um trying to to evolve my thing, you know, and keep it just my thing so I can take all the credit. There's definitely, I mean, I think the versatility <laughs> that you have is, is, is amazing. And I remember the first time that I ever heard you sing, I think we'd, we'd moved here. We'd been here about six months yeah. to LA from London. And oh. I remember Lisa saying to me, oh, I forgot, tonight we're going out to see one of the mums from preschool sing. <laughs> and I was like, 
Uh, oh, really? Uh, On a Sunday? I, I don't know. I've got a busy week. I, just, I don't know. Um, so, mm-hmm. no, 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 we're going. And it was on Sunset. Mm-hmm. And I remember it kind of getting, okay, well, we should go, you know. So, and I remember we, we, we turned up and it's like, okay, it's sold out. Okay, right, okay, well, this, this isn't just a kind of mum from school. Okay, this is, okay. So we went inside and then I remember seeing you come on stage. And I think we'd met a couple of times in the, in the kid drop-off yeah. area, both sunglasses on and not look, sort of looking early in the morning. And... Um, the on stage, I just have never seen anything like it. There was this, you had your hair straightened at the time. You looked oh, yeah. like, somehow you looked like Sade. You had like the swagger of Mick Jagger. There was some Tina Turner stuff going on. You were channeling some amazing kind of sort of soulful energy as well. And I couldn't, and there was punk in there as well. You looked angry a couple of times through, through songs. <laughs> yeah. People were scared. And then your voice just threw everyone. People in the first few rows just kind of took a stand back yeah. when you started singing and I, I think that that kind of versatility that you have is is incredible yeah thanks man thanks Tom <laughs> I'm um yes I'm pretty flipping good I, I I I didn't realize for a long time how much I actually loved it because I I always did it and, you know, and I think back and I think I probably had some little secret, you know, desires to sing, uh, to be a big singer. Um, I can remember thinking about um, acceptance speeches, but <laughs> but somehow I didn't like I wouldn't let myself want it right? or let myself certainly not want it enough to tell anybody that I wanted it. Um, it being uh, a career in music, but again, I I probably didn't know it that well that much either. Like, because I, I never really thought of it as a real thing, and I and I thought that everybody did it, right? And so I didn't, I certainly didn't think that I was any in any way special, um, as a singer. And your, but there must have been a moment. So your first album for Lovers, Dreamers, and Me was. Big success, very early. It got recognized. I did not get it or believe it or think it was a big deal at all. And I got a Grammy nomination for that. Um, and 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 everybody was like, "Oh my God, are you so excited?" And I'd be like, uh, "No, I'm not. I'm not excited." And I didn't win, so I'm definitely not excited. It's not changing my life. It's, yeah. Nothing's different. So I'm definitely not excited, and it's just further proof that I'm really not as good as you know I need to be. Right. Yeah, but um, I probably by that time had s- started to kind of like my voice, and you know I didn't get a deal until I was like I mean I had to be 28, hmm. and so again. I had created myself a couple of times already. You know, I was already me. Yeah. Okay. Right. And I, I definitely thought at that time that I, that made me safe. You know, from from being taken over or you know. I so let them. They not gonna. They ain't gonna get. So me. the same. It's almost a similar thing that happened with your your voice. So your your first 
piano teacher didn't want you to find your voice too early right. so you could find your original, your, your authentic voice. Yeah, yeah. And then you weren't signed to your 28, so you probably had defined your own style as well yep. by that stage. I had figured out my style, or at least I figured out a few things that I was not, um, just based on what I had done, you know, just what I, music I had fallen into and, you know, didn't really give me what I, you know, any feelings. So that, at that point, there was a three-album deal with Sony. And then after that record was released, am I right? There was some kind of reshuffle at the, at the record label, which meant that you kind of got locked in to not being able to release work for a little while. How did you stay focused? How did you kind of keep momentum through that phase? Which sounds like, you know, just as you released your first one, it got great acclaim. There was almost this kind of um, bureaucracy that kind of got in the way. Yeah, yeah. Bureaucracy and stupidity and the music industry is a real shit business. But, I mean, I'm sure that's most businesses that are, their only thing is to make money off of an artist, you know, and figure a way how to take your, an essence of you and make it fit what they need it to fit. It's just a heartbreaking situation unless you're you know straight ahead you know unless they can really know what to do with you out the gate but I so the I'm saying that because I started I made that album my first album on a teeny tiny before I even like a tiny label and then I got signed I had already made that thing it might have even been released and then they took the album that was already done Okay. And they upstreamed it before they were supposed to, and then and then it became everything became a penalty for 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 what they had already done. So if I needed something, or I said that the music needed something, they would say, "Oh no, well, we already spent this on you, and that didn't work." And I was saying, but that wasn't my idea. I told you not to do that. You know, it was horrible. It was horrible. And then. Um, um, it was all the changes in the music business that really made it crazy because, you know, the 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 girl that signed me, the A and R that signed me, was fired three months later. The president was f- left two years after I got there, and then we got a new English. Oh no. <sighs> I knew it was going to be bad, (laughs) but it was worse. (laughs) 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 No, um, and and I and I knew at that point I was like, okay, they're gonna they're gonna drop me right now. I'm gonna just whoo, hallelujah. And they were like, no, we need you to stay. And then they made this album, made me make this album. And then when I did the album a year and a half later, they said they wouldn't accept it. And when they when they do that, that's like they have to legally say, "I'm not accepting this album. You didn't f- complete the album, so you haven't fulfilled your obligation." Um, and it was a real. I'm saying the, a long, drawn out story to say it was a really horrible. It's basically the only traumatic situation I've ever been in my life. 
Like I had the most amazing childhood. You know, I didn't get involved in this horrible business until I was a grown, grown, very grown woman. And I thought that I was gonna be straight, but I was just not prepared. I was completely unprepared for what it was. And to get out of that, I finally got, I happened to find out that they weren't gonna take it the same week that I found out I was pregnant. And so at that point, I was like, okay. How did I get out of it, Tom? (laughs) This is how I stayed focused. I always was writing songs. um, And so I was always performing. And I always had new stuff to play. And and I'm amazing at covers, right? So I, I I was always able to work. And that work attracts, you know, people to me. And um, I just kept, you know, plugging along. And then when I said, okay, it's time to make another album, I made another album and um, put that album out maybe a year later, a year or two later after I got out of there. And it was great. It It did great for me, you know. I just, I'm always like, don't know what I'm gonna do or how I'm gonna do it. And then I just slowly make my little one step here, one step there, call a whole bunch of people, get a lot of input and opinions, which I'm trying to work on, but <laughs> it can get confusing. But but it, I just stay, I just kept doing, make doing the art. That's really all it is. You yeah. just gotta keep doing what you do that's the only reason I'm making albums is so that mm. it's what I can continue to do and I can continue to maybe I get you know if I get two or three good jobs this year I'm good yeah. you know so, so that that is that period then when the uh, record company kind of that that could have been different right? that could have stopped you in some way but by actually yeah. by being able to keep writing and keep performing yeah you're able just to kind of make some small steps which and the next one just kind of showed itself to you with with the release of she well the pregnancy thing helped me to force me to not get myself tangled up with all that extra stuff and you know you know when you're able to kind of step out of the picture you know you can you can see it a little bit better or not see it and just let it do what it does you know you mm-hmm. just let that shit shift on its own because as the time passes that's going to happen anyway Hmm. and i think you know i had my my mind occupied elsewhere uh but i did freak out a little bit when i after i had lou i just was kind of like oh shit i might everything was cool and then i got to this label and i let them take it all away from me that's also when i realized that that's really what i wanted to do Hmm. right so that's 33 i didn't know until i was like that 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 I that I was so af- really afraid that it was gone, that the label was all I could have, the, my only way to get where I wanted to go. You know, I'm so glad that you named this experience with the industry as traumatic. People uh, use that word a lot, and I the way that I define a trauma is broadly speaking, whenever there is a violation or disruption in our personhood and you know, as you describe the commodification of your talent 
the objectification of you as a person, you know, then becoming this thing to be branded. And then that what you just said was really powerful about it being then like your the the ownership of this being taken from you. I'm then relating this to in your journey as a as a new mother, as you, you know, were beginning to raise a young child, that that the aftermath became ever so important to you. Like mm-hmm. that, that is it, you know, that experience mm-hmm. alone was a struggle. And it sounds like it also gave you some, some really important insight about the self and what, what truly you value. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I'm so interested to hear more about like how, how does, how did motherhood really shift that? Did, did that have a, a an, some instrumental part in, in that growth? The only thing I ever actually wanted to do with my life was be a mother. I never actually cared to like get married or be a singer or anything. The only thing I really thought about um, as a child, you know, as a kid, was that I would want that I wanted to be a mother. I come from a very serious mothering line, and so so I realized that that was more important. Right, because even the, the tr- decision to have make a baby was because I was like, oh, I'm putting, I'm waiting for these people. Every time I, you know, I'm getting older, and every t- these people are saying, oh no, no, you can't do. Th-. I mean, men that I don't know are saying, oh no, don't get pregnant. Like you know, all the time. All, it's like a regular conversation. Like really, <laughs> like literally, men you work with are like. No, you don't. You're not trying to get pregnant, are you? Like, you're not trying to like uh, really. And then for myself, even I would be like, okay, when I finish this album, when this thing happens, when blah blah blah, then I'll get get busy. And then I realized that everything that they would just that it was just the time was just passing, and they were just stopping my life, my real life, because I'm so you know trying so hard to make this, you know. Oh my God, it was horrible. Crying in the tub, child. Was, I mean, it was like, it, and when I define trauma, I always, because I'm not a professional, but when I define it, I always defined it as based on my experience as something that you come away from changed and hmm. not for the better, you know? And, and I was changed by that. And I didn't realize even that, you know, you're, your your heart and soul of your music you're trying to get it out you're trying to express it and every time you say something to the people who you're in business with about what it needs or what you need for that music to really be felt they say no so now you're stuffing you're always stuffing it back down Hmm. you can't use your voice right just just crazy um, and for me, it made me just second get that it created doubt in my life, which I never, I would never have had. I mean, I would never, again, I don't think that way. Hmm. It doesn't cross my mind. Oh, let's jump out of a plane. Yes, let's do it. It's not going to cross my mind to be afraid, Right. That's how I'm getting in the plane because it's not. I'm not thinking of that, you know. So but that process put 
sort of seeds of doubt in your mind Horrible. and actually kind of stifled a lot it's, of stuff. It made me second guess everything. Right. Right? So I'm second guessing, okay, oh, I wrote the shit. Oh, I thought it was great. Oh, maybe it's not so great. I thought this is what it needed, but they're saying no all the time. It does. You can't do this. You can't do that. You know, over and over. And when I say over and over, I mean every single thing, thought, idea. Even your manager is saying, I'm saying, oh, we need this. And your manager is saying, well, if I tell them that, this is why it's going to be a no. This is why they're going to say no. Right. And you're like, I didn't ask you that. Yeah. <laughs> but everybody's got a, everybody's got relationships. You know, they don't want to get in bad with the with the label or whatever. And you're not really protected. So... And was there a moment where you, and you said that, that you decided that you really just didn't, after you'd had Lula, you really didn't want to stop doing it. You didn't yeah. want it taken away. Was there a moment where that energy shifted and you broke through the other side or went around it or you, you nearly losing it sounded like it gave you energy in a weird way? Yeah, well, it did. It gave me, um, and then of course, as the mother, you're in the mothering zone. So you now you're like, okay. I could do this. I got to do this. I, you know, you're ready to move a little faster, you know. And um, yes, it shifted um, because I started to, you know, only be interested in being in situations again that I wanted to be in the way I wanted it to be. And just kind of going back to like trusting myself on um, what I thought was cool or getting with somebody getting with Cy and somebody that I trusted who who could say to me I could be like oh I don't know and then he could be like no you gotta do that that's dope mm. um, and I trusted his ears enough to just let let it go um, and just you know do the art and then of course that always brings it back to home mm-hmm the the theme of authenticity is is coming up for me just as far as this this um this belief that we are not liberated unless we are authentic right that yeah. when we are our authentic selves we can be seen we can be visible we have a voice we have a seat yeah. at the table and we therefore can work on all the important things we need to be you know equal having a place in in these institutionalized systems yeah it's authenticity is such an important because we can be there inauthentically right we can do all the things we're told we can play this game we can be in the standard structured way but that is oppression like that is painful and i appreciate hearing you say like (laughs) you yeah i mean it is agony agony (laughs) i'm telling y'all i was in the bathtub coke would have to come in there and be like okay it's gonna be okay I would be crying in the tub, like, <gasps> what is happening? Why am I doing that? You know, it was a bad news, bad news. But I've always, um, but I always used to say that, uh, it's interesting that you say that, bring authenticity up because I've, I've always been um, really honest. And so, I, <laughs> yes, really honest. So, I've never, that's part of how come I was always, I had a difficult time in the music business also is because I would always be like, mm, I don't know guys, this is not sound like, this is not it. 
you know. <laughs> and or I would be like, I'm actually not coming today. I'm good. I won't be. You know, I was always wanted to be myself, you know. And I always got a lot of a lot of stress for it, but I, I but I always thought like if you get there and you're not yourself when you get there, then that don't fucking count. It doesn't count. Like hmm. why would I get? I can't like I'm not. I mean, not to be saying judgmental about other people, but like I'm not gonna look like I'm not gonna get fake boobs and then feel like oh I'm beautiful, you know? Because I, that's not that's not me. That's not mine. <laughs> that maybe those are beautiful, but they're actually not me. So I'm not beautiful with fake boobs, and I'm not, you know, really feeling successful if I'm. If it looks like success, but I don't feel like I'm me, you know, mm. or I know I bent over for it. Like, that's just, I, I could never, um, I could never be like that. Certainly, it, it sounds as though right before the pandemic hit, you were able to really actualize your authenticity and had uh, the release of an EP. Months later, here we are. Well, now a year later, since March 2020, here we are. Um, waves and waves of challenges and barriers and isolation. And I'm curious to hear, you know, along the lines of, of this authentic breakthrough, what does that look like for you? Um, what has been an empowering part of, of this period for you? Well, uh, in January, I took myself away for three weeks by myself. And I always, and I still think that that, I said I was genius when I did that. Because I think it set me up, I was able to coast off of that for about six months, six months. Just before lockdown you went away? Well, I went, no, I went in January. And then, and then I did the, and then I did the, the shows, you know, and I um, was, yeah, I got to sing with Lauren Hill and all that. And, um, and before that, in that year, I, I, in October before that is when I put, had put the, the, the music out. So the music was just starting to kind of gain a little footing. Um, and I, I was really blessed because I was able in March to say, oh, this is some really powerful shit. It's some real power out here. Swirl. I could just feel it. I could just, I just felt like, oh, it's just swirling around. There's just power, power, power out here. And I chose to kind of sit in that and just kind of be a witness to the power of what was going on and to sit in that and be able to um, just try to kind of find what, for me, I was supposed to be using that power for. You know, for me, it was, I think, connecting with myself because, mm. you know, healing things just takes a much longer time than, you know, you think, you know, it just, I'm past the self-doubt part now of my, my lone trauma and in the music business, but, um, I realized that there was something th that I had, I was being distant from myself, you know, 
and to kind of defend or keep myself safer from from things. So this year, I I got the therapist, you know, in March. By it just happened that way in April, and then that's all I did all year. I just I just did therapy, and um, you know, I'm 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 blessed because I people call me to do work, and I do my work, and. Also, I'm blessed because I live with a brilliant uh, musician who also has lots of great ideas. And so we, um, we both did a lot of streaming. We streamed some shows. We came, he came up with these great ideas to do these themed shows where I would do like the first one I did like five shows and I did two of my own shows and then I did like... Uh, a show that was all Sade, a show that was all whomever and all Nina Simone, you know. And that was the, the Crown series. That's the Crown series. I I I came up with the name. I'm brilliant <laughs> at that part. But the idea, the whole concept that you could have a, a set of shows and they would be all different shows, it was just genius because people could buy one show or they could buy three shows or five shows or whatever. And I did three of those series and that, I think that, I mean, that saved me. And that, you had actually a very creative period during the pandemic. Super you, you creative. You did lots of shows. Yeah. Um, they were really interesting. The, yeah. the, the live shows were, were great and really well attended virtually. Yeah. Was there, did you find it a kind of, I know there was huge restrictions on artists touring, so you weren't able to, Tour and get out and play live, which you've always done lots always of. Always done, yeah. Where did that creativity come from through the lockdown period? I think, you know, as a creative person, there's a time when you, you know it's time. You know that, oh, this is... if It's a stress reliever, you know. You know that, you know, there's all this crazy stuff going on and there's a space in your my mind, you know, intellectually where I'm like... I probably should be doing something on the one hand. And then on the other hand, um, I kind of faked it because I had, I was able, I created the series and that um, sparked some, a lot of stuff because I would have to, you know, create it. I had to figure out who, what I was going to sing and, you know, I had to learn, like, you know, the first one I had to learn like 60, 70, 60 songs, you know, I had to learn 60 songs. And of course I procrastinated. And so it was, it was, it was an exercise. So you had to do it in a few days. Oh, come on. Of course. 60 songs <laughs> in three days. Like let's learn them today and sing them tomorrow. And, um, it was, it was, it, but, but it was great because honestly it felt like, you know, exercising my brain, you know, and learning something that just really kind of turned me on, you know, it turned me, it like switched it for me. And I was able to um, feed off of that because even if you don't get to write this, I can be creative for me singing, just singing is creative, right? Because I, I have to create I guess not a character, but you know, I have to interpret it, what I'm singing. And especially if it's something I didn't write, it's like something else. It's, it's got its own life. And you know, I, that's like a nice, it's a nice little moment. 
I, I think through lockdown, for me, watching those events, the, the Crown Series, and there was moments, I remember really early on the lockdown, uh, DJ D-Nice, with his, <laughs> when he started playing, yeah. and you know, there was hundreds of thousands of people uh, listening. Mm-hmm. Actually, those moments in the deepest part of lockdown where people really were isolated, Super. they had a real power to them that was kind of coming together to do the same thing at the same time, which yeah. I, I, I think I, I personally really needed in those moments. And, and I think having... Having that to do at the end of the day, well, that and being was, connected with other people was yeah, because you could feel because people would ask me, well, what's it like, you know? And I'd be like, well, it's definitely not like singing live, but did you feel a connection? you can feel you can feel you know that there's eyes on you, you can feel you know that you can feel that there's somebody on the other the people are on the other side, and so anytime people are, um, I think, focusing their attention on you you can feel it that's why when people talk about you your ears burn <laughs> it's not just that the headphones are too tight <laughs> um so um i know we, we kind of talked a little bit about travel and you've you've talked about f- like physical escapes and it sounds like you know growing up you actually had lots of space mm-hmm. um in, in georgia I know you've had amazing escapes to Sicily. You went to you know, away just before lockdown. You've just got back from being away oh! in the Caribbean. Talk is there a theme it. here? Is there, is, there, is there something that that kind of being away, having... Do you need space? Is I that need something space. that you try and build into... I'm an only child, life? right? I'm an, Really, in real life, I'm an only child. Which is, I think, also, as an aside, why... A big part of my involvement in music is about like looking for siblings all the time. <laughs> Come on, and because what, I was always... being involved in in music or like band members or like yeah. people to play. Okay, yeah. So you see them sometimes as like a sibling. Yeah, interesting. Or I'm thought. looking. Or I know that I can feel that it's like we're gonna be together. It's like a reason we can go all. Play play some music together in the studio let's be together yeah i'm all it's really ridiculous it's one of the not so great things about me is how desperate i am for that's a great isn't that great though for a band band members to to have that yeah i'm always want people i'm yeah and yeah i'm always into fam i'm a big family person so I, i i'm always looking to make it a family a family thing and and it's always been something where you know you're gonna have people it's a community thing but what did you ask me oh traveling yes I do find that um, when I go away um, I tend to go away for good chunks of time not you know a couple weeks three weeks three three weeks three four weeks I think if I go away that long then I always come back and um, Things are different. So stuff has changed. Um, things have shifted. I have not. Um, I can. I can not. I can. You know, separate myself from those. All the stuff that I'm not really. I'm not gonna fix it. You know, it's like I'm just gonna worry over it, but I can't really do anything about it. All those things out of my control, I just leave them, and I come back and. I've 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 had the space um, away from my day to day to like clear my mind kind of and also again to reconnect with myself on a deeper level. Um, 
And I do find, uh, yes, that that kind of space is necessary for me. And I've always been lucky, lucky enough to be able to get it when I, whenever, when I want to. And I did always travel. I think about, you know, how you don't know how you're being, you know, prepared for your life. And I think about all those times I would ride up and down that highway, um, to go to my grandmother's house. I mean, that's a 10, nine hour, it's a nine hour trip, you know, for a little kid all the time. Like, I mean, my grandfather would commute from Georgia to, to DC. That was like a commute in my family. So, I think about that and being on the road, you know, on tour and stuff. And I've always just been, it's always been really easy, even though I think it's easy for everybody. I think everybody loves touring. Everybody who tours is like, you get your little bubble, you're in your little bubble. And you get to do whatever you want. You get to go go around with your your band members who are your family. Yeah, your little own family. Sounds great. I don't know what all the fuss about going (laughs) on tour where do you go like where do you go in your head is there is there a place that you kind of go to kind of re-energize if you can't travel i go to bed bed i do i'm a big napper i i'm into naps i'm into um showers and i'm into tv so i watch tv i like to watch tv (laughs) i like to take naps uh i like to write i have journal I journal. I'm getting better at reading. I, I, I used to read a lot. And then I guess after Lula, I kind of stopped, I stopped basically. So I haven't read in ages, but I'm starting to read again. And yeah, to re-energize, I sleep. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. So it's resting. Yeah, I rest. I'm a big rester. And my mother, every time I talk to her, Every other time I talk to her, because we talk all the time, every couple times a day. But there's always, when I ask her what she's doing, she's always like, laying up. And that's part of my family culture, is to lay yeah. up. I think it's a really difficult thing to do. We actually talk, we talked about that with, um, with Christine Adams mm-hmm. and how radical taking rest is. Mm-hmm. It's like people don't... Yeah, I'm very self-caring. I take very good care of myself. I don't, I don't, and I don't feel any way about it. We always ask it toward the end of the show, what is a self-care practice or something that is an intentional activity that you engage in to, to restore yourself? Um, and I'm hearing that, yes, it, there, there are instances where you need movement. You know, movement yeah. is a part of your cultural upbringing movement is, you know, frees you. And I'm also hearing you say, then there are times that you need to be still. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Uh, go sit down somewhere is what people, the people say. You need to go somewhere and sit down. As a way of resting. Period. As a way of staying out of it, as a way of resting, as a way of, you know, calming yourself down. Just... Go sit down. There's a huge amount about Take mindfulness around, yeah. around that. You know, I think it was Take a-, a beat. Yeah, mindfulness. Yeah, mind yourself. And, you know, I mean, I I really do listen to myself. I, I do what I cope with my 
partner always says, you know, you just don't give a fuck, do you? I'm like, I do, but I, you know, I, I don't think that that means, you know, I have to not take care of myself first, me first. And then, you know, when I wake up in the morning, I don't get up right away. You know, I lay for a little while. I try to just be easy with myself. And um, I'm a little, I might be a little too good at it, but, (laughs) but I, you know, I'm getting better at the balance on the other stuff to make myself, I make myself work out because that's taking care of myself, even though I don't love it. Uh, and make sure that I meditate. I try to make sure that I write as often as I can. I take very good care of my skin and my hair. I floss my teeth most times. No, I don't. Sometimes. Sometimes I floss. <laughs> Sometimes I floss. But I always brush my teeth. But I think that just in the whole conversation <laughs> there, just but you, you describing you know, what you're doing which is listening and taking a lot of care there are key periods where you know particularly kind of when the music industry stuff there are key periods where you could have lost touch with what you needed and you could have been swept up in right a whole set of other criteria that were important that were other people's criteria but not your own yeah yeah and that it seems to me like actually by having a really strong idea of that, maybe in part due to having a traumatic mm-hmm. event with the with the record company. Yeah, I think that so. it made that stronger. I think so. And I can hear that in your art. You know, I can. You, it's hugely individual. It's hugely original. It's not. You're not being pulled around by anything or anyone. You're doing. It's coming from from Alice. No, it is, and that that last that mystery album was so. Um, I love it so much because I think it was the first time that I really started to like practice kind of getting out of the way so that it can just come through you, which requires, you know, that which is what happens, which is what you realize is happening, you know, that it's not me, you know, it's, it's not like, where is it coming from? I don't know, you know, so I think that the that practicing kind of that that mystery album really was a demonstration of really me getting to like where I'm really to my real shit, I think, you know, because I I was in the way that I was not in it. I was completely in it, you know, and I was freed up to be able to get the get get it to come down. And then put the art on top of it, you know, which would be, you know, me interpreting whatever came through. I hope that this one more will get me one more. It's more just, it's just about, um, for me, I think it's just about being able to to have the time and space. Hmm. And my thing is just not a fast thing. And my thing is something where I'm waiting. I'm waiting for mine. I'm not, I don't, I, I don't have the process that people have where they just, they just go, go. Yeah. Is there anything that you've read or listened to? Is there a track, something you've seen on TV that's inspired you recently? 
well, a few things, of course. But of I'm oh, I'm so excited that I have the Stanley Tucci searching for Italy episode waiting for me. Mm-hmm. Because uh, he'll be up to Sicily. Anything that has to do with travel does inspire me. <laughs> um, but what else? I read the I read Begin Again, which is um, um, Eddie Glaud, I think is his last name, G L A U D E, um, Eddie S Glaud. I, I I I'm thinking, and he wrote this fabulous book about um, um, James Baldwin. And kind of how do we in this time that we are, which looks exactly like the time that he where he was, like how do we do pull it all together again to begin again on this mission, you know, to make our country a little bit better, you know, in terms of how it treats um, the other. Um, Amazing. Well, we, I think that's dope. Some, some travel and some. Some travel some, some and James, some James Baldwin. Baldwin. Yeah, great. What a fantastic combination. And a little optimist. And a little optimist thrown in. But um, Alice, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an amazing conversation. It's so refreshing, honestly, to hear, you know, with your, your art and the way that you're just so um, authentic and unique about how you do it and not having a kind of two-year plan, three-year plan, five-year plan, which so many people seem to have. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I definitely And you're talking don't. about letting it happen and letting it take shape. I think it's, it's, it's really inspiring. So thank you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Tom. We're ha- delighted to have you on the podcast. And- Thanks, Drea. Thank you, Alice. Such an amazing chat. It's such a pleasure to have this conversation with you. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Optimist in Progress, a podcast from Optimist Drinks presented by Dr. Drea Lettermendi and me, Tom Johnston. Thank you to our special guest today, Alice Smith, for an inspiring, open-hearted and honest conversation. I recommend you follow her at Alice Smith Music on Instagram. Usual thanks go to Reggie Science Perry for our original music, our editor, Brian Ward, researcher, Lisa Farr Johnston, and producer Natalie Parrish. For more information, go to our website, optimistdrinks.com. You can also follow us at Optimist Drinks on Instagram. And for more from Drea, follow ArkhamAsylumDoc on Instagram. Thank you for listening. <laughs>